when you extrapolate it out into the world, it actually becomes really powerful. And so I remember this lesson where they were like, okay, so if you stand up in front of the class and you teach long division, right? And then you give the long division tests to your students and only half of them demonstrate that they know how to do long division. Mm-hmm. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get the free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone or slash book. Today, our special guest is Lindsay Lachelle, and Lindsay is a marketing activist helping purpose-driven organizations do better marketing so that they can create more sustainable organizations and more impactful work. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm so happy that you managed to have time for us and to have this conversation because we are in this beautiful month of March that here in the United States, and I think it's worldwide, is the B Corp Awareness Month. And I want to speak about that in a moment. But before that, tell us, why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? (laughs) It's funny. I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. I I did not want this job. I had actually several opportunities to become an entrepreneur over the early stages of my career. And I kind of dodged all of them. And ultimately what happened was I was, um, I was working in marketing agencies and I loved agency work. I loved the challenge of the clients and all of the different, you know, every day is a new, a new day in marketing agency land. And I loved it, but the place I was working was really quite toxic. Mm. And I was the breadwinner uh, for my small family of myself and my husband at the time. And so I felt a great deal of pressure to stick with it. And I kept looking for a job and kept looking for other alternatives and couldn't find one, couldn't find one. And I finally got to the place where it was self-preservation. It was about emotional well-being. I had been I had to take anti-anxiety meds to get through my work day and different anti-anxiety prescription to be able to sleep at night. And I just, I got to the end. And so I had one client that I had landed in the first agency I worked at, uh, followed me to the second one. And I went to them and I said, thinking about going out on my own. And he said, I'll be your first client. And so I started, I started my agency with one one monthly retainer at $2,500 a month and a a bank loan of about $7,000 that was secured by my car. That was, that was how I started that. We did not have a safety net. We did not have, I, for better or for worse, I always know that I'm going to land on my feet. And because of that, I'm quite comfortable in financial circumstances that really 
could reasonably terrify a lot of other adults. So I made it work. And even like that, you, there was a push. Or they say the circumstances may push you to, okay, I'm, I can do That's this. Right. I go by my own self-preservation, taking care of yourself, even with all the risks. The, the culture was so toxic that the alternative looked much better. That's right. That's right. Wow. It was a very tough moment. When I look back on that time in my life, You know, it, everybody sort of goes through these phases where you're really in survival mode. You're just trying to keep your shit together and like yes. <laughs> get through the day. But you don't always know it when you're in survival mode because that's one of the protective, right? Your brain sort of protects you from, from being fully aware of how bad things are. So when I look back on that time now, I'm just so grateful that I still have my friends. I'm so grateful that I was able to build my network and convince people to come work for me and work with me. And You know, it was... I'm super proud of that little business that I built. And now I'm unemployable. I'm I'm an entrepreneur forever now. <laughs> yeah, now you taste that lifestyle and you don't want That's to right. go back. Even like that, you have transformed things because you left the agency, you start your own, you brought people in and you create your own agency, your own marketing agency. How many employees did you grow to? So at our very peak was... September of 2019. And we had 10 full-time employees, including myself. Wow. Wow. I was really, really proud. And at that time, were you already a B Corp for that agency? Yep. We had just gotten B Corp status. Wow. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, and the, taking in attention that many of the people listening probably are not aware what the B Corp is. So tell us why as a small business, because 10 people is still a very small business, and the B Corp process is a quite long and comprehensive kind of application to get the certification. Tell us why it was so important for you to become a B Corp and what is that? What attracted you in the B Corp movement? Yeah. So I had been hearing rumblings of purpose-driven business ideas. I had been entrepreneur adjacent for a long time. Like I said, I, met, I sort of didn't take lots of opportunities to become entrepreneur earlier in my career. So I, I was familiar with the idea of like a triple bottom line. I was familiar with these sort of, you know, which the triple bottom line business is a people, planet, profit, right? You, you look at your business for all three of those outputs. So I had sort of been, been playing with some of those things. And I honestly don't know where the B Corp itself got into my, got into my awareness, but When I started to look at it, and I, I will pat myself on the back a little bit. One thing that I'm quite good at is watching how other people do things and then either taking that on board or refining it for myself. So like an easy example of that is like the agencies I worked at would pitch work, sell work based on hourly estimates, but then they never went back and actually compared the hourly estimates to the work that was actually, that was done. And I was like, we're missing a huge opportunity yes. here to like price smarter and incentivize our team and all these sorts of things. So then when I became an agency like that, I was very, we, we did analyze how time was spent before and after the fact, and that helped us do well. So anyway, so it's like a small example. And so, so I built my business to be an ethical business. 
it was always really important to me. We need to, we need to have diversity in lots of different ways. We need to have great, it needs to be a great inclusive place to work. We need to like, I made a big effort to do those things. So then when I start to look at the B Corp certification, it was just proving that we were who we said we were. Like we were like, we didn't really have to change anything. We didn't have to really learn anything. Like it was very much like pro forma you know, because we were intentionally trying to build an ethical business. You are walking the talk already was to just to go over the things to get the certification. And I love that you said that the triple uh, bottom line, the profit people and planet was a little bit you're already aware of it, because the way that I found the B Corps was first, I found the, uh, the triple bottom line that I thought that makes all the sense. Uh, we are mm -hmm. in a for-profit business. Yes, profits are important. And we have to take attention to these other elements, the people that we, all the stakeholders involve, the planet that we live in is the best that we have. And from that was a natural thing to become, in your case, certified as a B Corp. And in my case, as a micro-micro business, I'm in the process of applying for that. And I love that you start your own company running away from that emotional, trying to get a better emotional well-being, trying to get away from the toxic environment that you were there. And mm -hmm. you were developed psychological and business-wise enough to create something that was different. Because mm -hmm. I know, unfortunately, there are many cases of people that start their own business to run away of a certain toxicity and then they become or a boss that made them live a living hell and they create a business that they are bringing some of the old patterns to their uh, entrepreneur journey too but you managed yeah. to make that cut what was that in terms of mindset that allow you to make that happen, make it that clear cut and build a company that was much more supportive and inclusive and uh, and growing like you did. Do you know, I've never thought about it that way. And I think it's really kind of cool. This is one of those things. I've had a really meandering career. The number of industries I have worked in, the number of different, before I landed in marketing agencies, I was all over the map. And part of that included a stint as an elementary school teacher. So I taught fourth and fifth grade in Oakland Unified and in um, West Contra Costa Unified, which is also in East San Francisco Bay. And the program where I got my teaching credential was an incredibly progressive program. Like genuinely, it wasn't on any of the paperwork. It wasn't on any of the advertising. But once you got into the classroom with these folks, they were very clear. The work they were trying to do was to prepare white teachers to be effective in contexts where they were working with not white students. And it was very, and so it was very, very much about how do you be inclusive in a multilingual setting? How do you be inclusive in a multiracial setting? And that's where I really had to learn a lot about white privilege. That's where I really had to learn a lot about, you know, racial wealth inconsistencies. That's not the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean? And so that was it. That was where they taught us something in that program. It was very, it was very specific about teaching, 
But when you extrapolate it out into the world, it actually becomes really powerful. And so I remember this lesson where they were like, okay, so if you stand up in front of the class and you teach long division, right? And then you give the long division tests to your students and only half of them demonstrate that they know how to do long division, mm-hmm. whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? You. They're like, you're the teacher. Not you the didn't teach half the class. It is not on them to adapt to your needs. It is you to adapt to them. And so as a leader, I always brought that to my ideology. And so for me, the clarity of communication, the baseline of respect, and the acknowledgement that like, leaders are just people <laughs> like we f- stuff up too and and the truth is that like if some if one of my employees does the wrong thing it's because i didn't give them the right information and they have to demonstrate over and over again that they had the right information before before i be- you know what i mean like yes. it's to me it's when you have that mindset it's a totally different relationship it's a totally different kind of collaboration and I, there's many things that I learned, I used to say, jokingly, if I can get 30 10-year-olds to do what I want, then 10 30-year-olds is easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? they- like getting millenn- a like handful of millennials to do what you want after getting those same kids, right? These are these, a lot of my team were the same age as the students wow. that I taught. And so, um, so it's interesting to see, you know, that sort of just generational growth. And I'm not that much older than them, but it's, it's enough that I can sort of see the difference. Yeah, what I learned as a teacher. I love that how you extrapolate from your learning as a teacher to you as a leader of your own organization and the diversity, the inclusion, the clear communication. And how about taking care of the mental well-being? Was also something from education or from your own experience? Both, I think. Both. I had, at the time that I started my company, I had been seeing the same psychiatrist, psychologist for probably four or five years at that point. And value, and I'm still seeing the same person. And the, I value that relationship just absolutely, you know, it, it is invaluable to me. And so I'm just one of those people who thinks that everybody should have a therapist. And like, I don't even care if you, if your parents loved you, you still need a therapist. So that's part of it. Part of it is, is actually what they taught us about self-care when I was becoming a teacher and also about your students, you know, like, so like I, I actually taught in one of maybe the lowest performing elementary school in Oakland Unified. Like we're talking about a place where we were on lockdown because of not active shoot. I mean, not active shooters as we understand them now, but more like gang drive-bys. There were bullet holes in my classroom window uh, that never got fixed. One of my colleagues, one of my dear friends from college and and a colleague at that school wrote a book that I, I was proud to contribute the title to. It's literally unbelievable literally unbelievable what we allow education in this country to be for for poor kids and for black and brown kids it's shocking to many sadly so when you put it like that like how's a kid supposed to learn long division when they had to sleep in the bathtub because they were like it's just a little bit of empathy 
that teaches you that like, if you're not a safe, if you don't feel safe, then you're not at your best. And you certainly don't have the capacity to expand your capabilities. And just for the record, the name of the book that your colleague wrote and that is literally unbelievable. Is that the name of the book? Okay, I just want to make sure for the record, because then I would like to put the link in the show notes for it. Wow. Tales from an East Oakland classroom. I love it. That so that uh, understanding that circumstance, like getting to that point where I was required to empathize in order to do my job well. I really had to empathize very deeply with people whose experience was incredibly different from my own, right? Whereas the default would have been to like be judgmental about parents that don't show up for parent conferences. Now you get to like really take a different angle on that and look at it from a from a like holy like look at all these other things they're having to deal with. And so it's funny because that it makes you a better leader because it makes you more more connecting to them on a like on a one to one level. Like I believe everybody wants to do a good job. If somebody's not doing a good job. There's a reason they're not. I absolutely believe that everybody behaves with the best intentions until they prove to me otherwise. So as a leader, that part was really important. And it's also really important as a marketer. Like now my whole practice is based on this like very structured sort of approach to empathizing with your audiences so that you can refine your messaging and narrow down your channel strategy and just get really smart about it. You know, this is really incredible experience for me. I love how you use all your previous experience to make a better place to work. And you got a certain degree of success. You manage your agency growing. And then at a certain point, you decide to do another change, to go from Mm -hmm. agency owner to solopreneurship. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is another another mental health story, it turns out. So in that, that fall, employee number one and employee number two that had both worked with me for, for many years. So I'm ve- like, I have millennials who work for me for like more than three years. I'm like going to win a prize someday. Like I'm very proud of it. And they were amazing. But the truth is that like they had outgrown their positions. They The agency wasn't growing as fast as their capabilities where it was time for them to move on. But it, as you know, somebody with a very small team who relied very heavily on the institutional knowledge and the skills that they had gained in working with me, it was a little bit of a shock, you know? And so I took my laptop and I ran away to my favorite desert. (laughs) I ran away to Palm Springs, like to do some, like, I call it an executive retreat, but it's really like sitting by the pool and meditating and thinking about like, what do I want? What, who, you know, where am I? Where am I going? What do I want to be? And what I realized is that running an agency was not the job I wanted. The management of the team, as I have described, uh, was actually just too taxing uh, for me emotionally. And I wasn't getting the excitement of the work with the clients that I used to get. Yeah. But also in the number of things we did not know in the fall of 2019, right? But like... (laughs) What was coming next? But I'm... Yeah. And so, but also like, I'm not the kind of person that's going to go like fire my team and fire my retainer clients. Like we, you know, like I had a good little business going. So I was like, not going to do that. But having acknowledged that I wanted something else than the universe provided. So the staff turnover led to client turnover. I made a bad hire. It became this sort of like downward spiral that came to a to a crash at the bottom when we lost 80% of our monthly recurring revenue from February to April. 
because of the COVID. And so because of the pandemic. So so for me, the pandemic was the last nail in the coffin, not the first of something that I was ready to let go of. And it really like it, it turned out to really, really ease the journey for me in the way everything went down. And so, and I was very, you know, in the end, very grateful. All of my employees, except for the very youngest one, had transitioned themselves out and found other opportunities. And I didn't have to let anyone go except for the newest hire who was a, you know, just finished. She graduated in June of 2020. So I spent the summer paying the team on PPP loans, trying to make a go of it, trying to get the thing going give me a break. Like in retrospect, that was so quixotic. Like in retrospect, that's really, it's so charming and like quaint that I would think I could raise like a few hundred thousand dollars worth of marketing retainers at that time of the economy, at that time of our culture. But I'm a business owner. I was doing what I was trying, you know, I still got to pay my bills and like doing what I can do. And the conversations I'm having are with purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And they're saying to me, I don't need you guys to do the work but I do need you to give me a plan. Just Mm -hmm. give me a plan. Tell me which direction to run and then I can do it or I can have my team do it or whatever. And I was like, that is very interesting because I actually, I at at this time had developed a curriculum for like a one day, I was calling it a cause marketing boot camp, right? And it was like for for one person marketing teams inside of nonprofits was really the idea. And it was like the strategic framework that I had used with my agency clients, I had developed it in order to basically proactively build consensus between myself, my client and my team of like, here's, here's who we're talking to. Here's what they care about. We all agree. So that when the client comes to me and says, I want you to do this on Facebook, I can say no. Because here's because it doesn't fit into our plan. Or yes, that is a good that is a Idea. good way to implement this, right? So so I always had that as the justification for like why we would or wouldn't do anything. One of the things I saw in previous agencies, like right, one of the things I learned from watching other people mess it up was we would do the things a client told us to do, even though we knew it wasn't gonna work. And when that happens, then the client still holds us responsible. No client ever says, well, I'm the one who told you to do that. So that's on me. Like that's, God bless them. That's not how it works, right? So I came into this with like, I can't afford to be apologizing for their mistakes. Like that is not a thing I want to do. Uh, and I'm nobody's henchwoman. Like I'm an expert. That's that's what we're here for. Yeah. So I used, I took the framework. I adapted it into a consulting model. I called five prospects, pitched them all, three of them closed, and that's the rest is history. That's why I was like, this is my job now. Love it. I love it. So now you are a solopreneur, you still have mm-hmm. contractors, people, uh, virtual assistants, but you are in essence a one person business. Yeah, I'm very much. I mean, I have an EA. She's like part time dedicated, but I don't even work with any subs right now. Like, I, I, when my clients ask me for a referral, I am thrilled to introduce them to a woman of color who has the skills that they need. And that's, that's how I support my clients. Like tell them, help them, help them get on board with what needs to be done and then fill out their team or train up their team, whatever it is. Yeah. And at this moment, you find that the format that you are doing now is the best for you at this moment of your life. You know, I'm actually like a little bit transitioning. So there's two there's two things that I am trying to accomplish here, right? The first is like the reason why I call myself a marketing activist 
is because lots of good businesses can fail with bad marketing. Yes. And my belief is that when women, queer, people of color, entrepreneurs do well, the whole world is a better place because of the justice, because of the power, because of it, right? There's all kinds of reasons why that's true. So part of what I am looking to do with the Open Lines framework is make it more accessible. Just make it cheaper so that there are more entrepreneurs, there are more accelerators, there are more, I want everybody to do it. Love it. So I'm adopting. So I still, I love working one-on-one with clients, right? That's like, like imagine a marketing retreat, right? Put all the stakeholders in a room and we're going to like hash it out and dig in hard and look at your audiences and look at your competitors and like re-examine your messages and write some copy and play in your social media strategy. Like we do all this stuff and it feels so good to do it together and do it quickly because it, it builds momentum and it builds consensus and you just go. I love that. And I never want to stop doing that. But that does not scale. It absolutely doesn't scale. And so the thing that I'm that I'm looking at now is how I can build the curriculum in a self-service kind of way in order to maybe be able to sell licenses, be able to sell like obviously like, you know, one-off entrepreneurs can take care of it, do their own thing. But I really want to look more at entrepreneur supporting organizations, accelerators, incubators, even foundations, right? And that's work that I've done before where a foundation will hire me to work with a bunch of their of their projects. And that that's thrilling to me. So I love how you keep evolving and evolving and learning from previous experience. <laughs> love it. <laughs> where can people learn more about what you are doing now and how they can tap into your expertise? Tell us where people can go. Yeah. So always find me on LinkedIn. I don't think there's another, there's like a very Googleable. I've been working on the internet for a very long time. So find so LinkedIn is a really good place. I am really launching a lot right now. I'm like working really hard to draw a lot of attention to my social media solution, which is like a $10 Kajabi course on how you can quit social media, especially channels that you don't like without sacrificing business opportunities. So I have like a, there's a lot of good reasons to not do it. And a lot of people, a lot of people just don't want to for many reasons. And I support all of them. And I sort of get to debunk this idea that it's a thing that you have to do um, because I have I have uh, suggestions for how you can make up for it. Make your life easy. I love that. I love your philosophy about that. And you're also writing a book at the moment, correct? I am. Yeah, this is the, the, the first year that I have said I intend to finish the book this year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, the world needs that book. So do That's put right. it out there. So thank you. I will make sure that I put all the links below in the show notes. But thank you for sharing your story and your journey. It's like with the ups and downs, the bumps in the road and the continuous learning. I love that on you. You are always learning, always improving, always trying to make it better. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. 
There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.